The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello and welcome to our UFC 264 post show. I'm John Pollock. That means I'm joined by the one and only Phil Chertok. Here we are live. It's almost one in the morning. How are you, Phil? I'm doing pretty good. I'm happy to be here, you know, before one in the morning uh, on a pretty exciting night uh, of pretty good fights and some wild finishes. Yes, I went into this one and I thought to myself, just looking at the card, like there were some fights, I I felt pretty confident Thompson and Burns would go the distance. I thought that uh, Tui Vasa and Greg Hardy was either going to be a plodding three-round ugly heavyweight fight or it would be what we got. I didn't think the main event was going to go into championship rounds. Uh, so I was thinking on paper, in theory, uh, this this could be an early night for us, but you know what, with the, uh, thankfully, thanks to lots of padding, uh, we are here at the ultra late slash very early hour of nearly one in the morning. Uh, oh yeah. The, the UFC and ESPN, they kicked it up to another level with, the, with the pre-fight packages today and the segments. Uh, I, I, I have some more to say about that at the end of the show, but, uh, I think we should focus on the fights first. We will we will talk about uh, some of the production elements of uh, tonight's broadcast. But what everyone wants to hear is our thoughts on the main event. Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, their third fight. Will it be their final fight? That was the question as we went off the broadcast. But this was, uh, there is so much to say about these <laughs> five minutes that we have to dissect, Phil. Because, I mean, immediately just... When it comes to Conor McGregor, you are going to overanalyze and read into everything just based on sort of his demeanor throughout fight week, right up until the entrance. Like, what was kind of your vibe you were getting uh, from Conor McGregor, who this was um, certainly a callback to the Conor of old, although I feel in 2021, not exactly connecting at the level the former Conor did, but definitely a complete... Uh, turn from what we saw in the lead up to the fight in January. Totally different yeah. style of promotion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, as you as you said, it was more akin to uh, the type of Connor we saw in the first Poirier fight uh, and in the Habib fight and others of the fights where he was just a little bit more nasty with his opponents. Maybe the Jose Aldo fight comes to mind. Um, you know, a lot of people made the fact made of it that, you know, he wasn't getting in Poirier's head, which I totally agreed with. Poirier had been there, done that. But I think it was just as much an exercise for himself. I think he felt he needed that edge going into this fight. And and so I think that's why he was intentionally, you know, doing that throughout the, the buildup. I, I, I would agree with that. I think that a lot of people understand sort of the the calculus that Conor McGregor plays with. This to me is not something where it is a uh, a guy trying to quote unquote sell a fight. I think we saw with the last fight in January, that was an enormous, an enormously successful fight. I think this is very much just 
it's Connor's mental warfare that's been that's proven to be very successful in the past. And I think in this, I I think you could almost detect like at different points almost a sense of frustration because Dustin Poirier, I think, was just someone that I think he saw what this game was. And I think a lot of the fan base can see what the game is now. And that's why I don't think they were necessarily as emotionally uh, charged by any of the comments. I think everyone understood this game plan and what Connor was trying to do and recreate that first fight from seven years ago. Yeah. And it's also kind of difficult to take shots at Dustin Poirier when you, I mean, when the UFC has built him up as somebody who has this charity and gives so gives back to his community in Louisiana. So, it, you know, it's very difficult to paint him as a villain to the audience. Um, it was a lot easier the first fight because nobody knew who Dustin Poirier was. And Conor McGregor was the guy who was up and coming that you wanted to see win. Um, I, I thought he did look a little bit nervous in the in the dressing room right before the the, the walkouts, which was a Dustin or Connor. Connor, Connor did. Okay. And, and that, and, but, but by the walkout, he kind of, you know, he, he, he got into, you know, fight mode, but, but even in the fight, like he looked worried at points and he should have been. I can just say that just based on all of the attention this week, um, just that, that feeling you had when this fight began, like, I think this fight is going to be massive. If this hits 2 million buys, it's not going to stun me in the least. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, if I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a little guesstimate. I'm gonna say one point eight five. One point eight five is my number. Um, one thing might that might draw the number down is the fact that now bars are open, so it's like more people can congregate in a single place to watch one of these events. So the per you know person buy rate may be down. So, but it may be more total people see it because gathered in parties and the like um but that's my number and but if it hits two million it wouldn't surprise me there was a lot of buzz i got messages from people i don't normally get uh our own uh, jordan goodman mentioned to me that he's watching this fight and he can't even remember the last time he saw a ufc fight so definitely a lot of uh, casual interest as you saw with the celebrities in attendance oh we got to see all of them uh no correction we did not get to see all of them um present in the building uh, but we're not shown on camera tonight. Donald Trump and Jake Paul did not get any camera time. Were you surprised by either of those omissions? Uh, surprised by, I mean, not in terribly surprised a little bit by Trump because of the relationship with the UFC. But he's such a polarizing figure that from a television standpoint, you know, it's like, why, why, why create that stir? I, I was just interested to see, like, uh, Jake Paul, I completely understand. I don't think they wanted, um, yeah. they didn't want a recreation of what they did earlier this year that really just gave Jake Paul um, access to the UFC audience and has been able to uh, be, be able to siphon off of that very, uh, in a very strategic way. Uh, with Donald Trump, I was just curious to see because, you know, they did the exact same when he was in office and showed up to, it was the Diaz-Masvidal fight. And did not show him in the crowd. I was just curious tonight. They do did they... show him in the crowd. Did they, they? Did show him? Yes, in that event. They on, definitely on the showed... broadcast. Yes, absolutely. Yes, hundred percent. Okay, then I, then I'm remembering this wrong because I I was yeah no no, no I thought they that they did. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching videos of him coming into the arena and everyone reacting, but I 
I totally blank on him being shown there, there on camera. There was definitely a moment. It was was it yeah, it was that fight because they wanted to set it up for because it was supposed to be Covington and it didn't work out that way. But he definitely got shown on camera. I'm sure we can find a gift or some uh somebody in the Discord will will post that. All right. Well we we we're going down uh the yes, yeah, sorry sorry well. fans. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the fight. Uh Conor McGregor comes out of the gate and he is immediately throwing spin kicks towards Poirier and then both are exchanging leg kicks. Um, and it was interesting to see Connor have such a reliance on leg kicks uh, in the early going. And this was nonstop for the time that it lasted. Uh, McGregor landed this left hand over the top and then Poirier closed the distance and he starts landing with his left hand, shoots against the fence. And then Connor McGregor, outing himself as a clear follower of our preview shows, decided he was going to go for that prop bet. McGregor by submission, because he wraps his arm around Dustin, and he goes for a jumping guillotine, and ends up putting his back on the mat. And this place, my God, you would have thought that um, Gilbert Burns was coming out for an encore here in the main event, based on what they thought was going to happen here. I did not for a second believe that Dustin Borea was in the slightest bit of trouble. And that was so evident by uh, the setup for this and just dust it's Dustin Poirier in a uh, guillotine. Second of all, Dustin pops out of it. And now Connor is in a lot of trouble because he is underneath Dustin Poirier, who just gave this dude a steady diet of elbows. But to his credit, Connor was firing off with elbows off of his back. He was throwing up kicks and the fight comes to a close as Connor gets to his feet in the closing seconds. Both men go to connect and they miss. And this is where Connor rolls his left ankle in a contorted fashion, goes down, and Dustin is just destroying him with strikes to the point, Phil. And this is before we're even aware of the state of McGregor's leg. I think Herb Dean could have stopped this. It was, he was just annihilating Connor, and I think everyone was simply looking at the clock instead of the damage being done. And for a referee, it does not matter if there are two seconds left in a round or three minutes left in a round. You are judging it equally. Uh, I thought this fight was over, and in fact it was, because Connor cannot get up. He does reach the end of the round, but his ankle and leg are totally messed up here. He cannot get up off of the canvas and there is a doctor's stoppage after the first round. But this was a super entertaining five minutes, the duration of how it landed or ended, just not a great finish for most fans. Yeah, disappointing uh, always to have a fight end on an injury, uh, particularly such a brutal one that's going to be so tough uh, to recover from. Uh, but yeah, for the five minutes that it lasted, it was complete fireworks. I agree that Herb Dean could have stopped it. I think maybe he had, I think why it looked more to us like it should have been stopped was because it looked like Connor had been dropped with a punch and then followed up with. Turns out that wasn't the case. So maybe Herb saw, didn't see It was see actually worse than, than the viewer at home <laughs> thought yeah. because we thought he had just suffered a knockdown. In fact, his ankle it could be shattered uh so yes, and he probably... actually points to it and he points to it yeah. in the moment yeah. too and it's like it it was in in some ways it was is reminiscent of the first fight because connor lo lost that leg 
had to roll back to the cage and he's just defending. He He's helpless. He eats a shot and then ends up getting knocked out. And here it's like he lost the leg and, you know, he almost, I mean, he didn't get knocked out, but he was getting beaten down and the fight was over. So he got TKO'd. What did Conor McGregor show you in this fight versus fight number two? Were you left, um, you know, th- let's put the injury aside. Uh, everything prior to the injury, what did you take from Conor's performance? It was roughly the same. I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. strike me as too much difference. I mean, he did come out with a, 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 you know, I suspected that he would have a different strategy of being on the outside or potentially on the inside. In this case, he was on the outside. Uh, and you know, did he's you, landing I'm sorry of- to interrupt, but did like, I know Connor has been saying this in all of his interviews, but then to hear Joe Rogan as they're right about to start and they're talking about the second fight and Joe just pipes in, well, you know, like he was preparing for a boxing fight. Uh, it was like, oh, he, he didn't even train for the last fight. Just completely throwing this out. It's, uh, well, I, don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it's more just, it just spoke to the fact that he was so lead leg heavy and that's what left him susceptible, right? That's the story that Connor's trying to tell, right? It's like, I was just because, you know, I left myself open to this attack. That's the only reason why this guy got it. Um, and, you know, he tried to make adjustments, but there, it wasn't, there was just, there was more adjustments that needed to be made than just figuring out a way to deal with leg check, with leg kicks, or like, Poirier has a lot of tools. And, and look, Connor was landing a few times, but the, the second that Poirier touched him, it was, he backed off right away. And, I think that's a direct result of being knocked out in his last fight. Like you don't want to get knocked out again when it happens to you. It's like, so you can't escape that fear. And he tried really hard, but anytime Poirier touched him, he he backed off nervously and it led to him getting taken down. There may be a time, uh, you know, for everyone there is um, where you can't always eat that shot in his career. Dustin Poirier can eat, Connor's best shot. We saw it in the last fight. He t- he touched him in this fight. And Dustin was fine. He walked through those strikes. And I think with Connor, that is like if you were clinging to a belief that Connor was going to reverse his fortunes from the last fight, it was going to be early and it was going to be with that left hand. And I am just not convinced that that was going to be enough. And I thought it was like, yes, maybe he saw an opening with that guillotine, but I just thought, man, you really took yourself out of any advantageous position by going for that guillotine that I don't think the strongest Conor McGregor supporter was really going to believe he could have finished off and found himself in a terrible position. I will, to be fair to him, the, uh, it was a very strong guillotine. He was deep on it. He did force Poirier to go over the top and, had the he, cage position he, he worked for been... a better position, but man, initially, Phil, when he gets to his back, like, dude, he doesn't even have his legs wrapped around him. Like, it was not, uh, I, I think I, he got I, a better I, position on it, but I think that was almost Dustin, like, almost going more into the guillotine. Well, I'm, you're right. He didn't have his legs around him and he was trying to secure that. But the fact that Aurier had to elevate his legs so far, had they been in the center of the rank, of the cage, Connor could use that to reverse the position and get on top because it would have been so deep. And you've seen that a lot. But the cage stopped it. And Poirier's experience, he got his hand in the right position. At that point, Connor should have just bailed ship and moved on. But he continued to maintain it, ended up losing the position entirely and getting beaten down. 
So, uh, but anyway, neither here nor there, uh, it wasn't a close submission to being finished. And, uh, yeah, it was a big mistake in the, in the uh, short run of the fight or long run, I guess. So, uh, in the follow-up, uh, after, first of all, Connor is on the ground. And if you listen, he is screaming at somebody to make sure that this is, this goes down as a doctor's stoppage. Um, which it did, and that is how it was acknowledged. Um, I guess that was uh, of the utmost importance here. Poirier was interviewed first by Joe Rogan, and he thought that Connor first injured his leg uh, when one of his kicks got checked by Dustin, and he thinks that is what caused potentially a break, and then when he rolled the ankle later, um, he, damage had already been done. That was his theory. And he said that Connor was pulling at his gloves when he was trying to throw the up kicks. Uh, Dustin was trying to tell Herb Dean that he called Connor a dirt bag and that karma isn't a bitch. She's a mirror. And for all you people that are booing me, you can kiss my whole asshole. The whole thing, the whole thing, the whole, yes. the whole thing, the whole asshole thing, the asshole so thing. Dustin, Dustin had nothing left here for this, uh, this audience that was booing him. Uh, he sets himself up for Charles Oliveira. I think that this is a much uh, a very simple path towards a championship. Uh, it makes almost so much sense that I'm expecting an interim title to be introduced <laughs> over the next few months for some reason. And then Connor was interviewed and he's just yelling. This is not over. He went against Dustin's theory about the check leg kick and then just starts yelling about Dustin's wife getting into his DMS. Uh, and this guy just angling for another fight with Dustin Poirier. Um, Sure, there's there's always going to be an audience for the next Conor McGregor fight. Um, this is not one of them for me. Uh, me, just personally, I have seen the outcome of this rivalry, and I think that Dustin Poirier will win a fourth fight uh, if they have one on top of this. I don't know what is next for Conor McGregor in the immediate future. Uh, he's facing what's probably a pretty significant injury. Yeah, I mean, it's a looks like a clear fracture of, you know, ankle i mean i'm not gonna say which bone uh obviously i can't uh, but uh you mean yeah, you're not I mean, dr phil <laughs> no unfortunately uh and and it's a lengthy road to recovery and who's he gonna face and you know it's a huge build-up although it does create a new story right because this is a new conor mcgregor comeback story but against dustin poirier no that that story is over uh you know interestingly enough for these last two fights you know, Conor McGregor looked fairly lean, and we always thought that like, he struggled to make 145. I almost wonder if 145 is a better fit for him. Because if you look at his record, off. Phil, I mean, it's not even close. Like, of the three-weight yeah. classes, featherweight was where he had his greatest success. And if we're looking at power, um, I mean, he's... Like, Dustin ate his best strikes, um, and that's, you know, D Dustin is a giant lightweight as well. But, I mean, a lot of these guys that he would be fighting at 155 pounds are big lightweights. Um, you're, you're talking as well, like, a lot of faster fighters at 145. I just, mm -hmm. I look at Conor McGregor now, and this to me is very much a crossroads. Not so much of, uh, does he fight again? I feel that happens, but... Does he look at this? Okay, this is a clear exit out of any championship picture. Like, take the biggest fights that come your way. Entertain the Nate Diaz fight. Look at a Nick Diaz fight. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. just 
is that the future of if Conor McGregor is interested in continuing to fight? Like, what is going to uh, push him? Is it going to be going to featherweight and fighting, you know, like, what are the names at featherweight that are really going to draw you in? Certainly, like, a rematch with Max Holloway is super compelling. I don't think that's a pretty fight in 2020. Well, I'll say 2022 at this point. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think that that is the one thing that prevents the featherweight return is, is the lack of names. Um, this sort of reminds me of the position he was in after the Habib fight, and he took all that time off, and he came back to fight Cowboy, right? He took a big step back that set him on, on track. Why not do that again? It, it, I mean, Nate kind of makes sense, but that's a, another big boy, and are you going to be prepared to go five rounds against Nate Diaz? Because that's what it's going to take, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, maybe he needs a different fight altogether. And, uh, I mean, he certainly needs to regroup. I think he needs to get off of Poirier. I think the UFC will oblige. They, they, they're, they're done with that. And, and, you know, they do like to milk the cow, but they, they know when to stop. And uh, I think they know that they can put Poirier in a title fight. And, that, and look, Poirier is a star now. They, they can now use Poirier to elevate Oliveira. And uh, that's a great opportunity for them. And, and Connor will draw in his return against whoever they put him against. I, I did think that they, like promotionally, you had Charles Oliveira there in the building. And Megan O'Leary did interview him after the after the main event. But, I mean, how many people saw that? I really would have had Dustin, or sorry, uh, Oliveira interviewed right before the main event. And at least you have this gigantic audience, at least send them in the direction. Because mm. that's going to be a big question, Phil, is after two gigantic fights with Conor McGregor, what audience does Dustin Poirier come out of this these pair of fights with? Like that he can draw now, where he's going to be the A-side in that fight with Charles Oliveira. Yeah, I, 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 it's very interesting to see. And, you know, he's a charming individual himself, right? You know, he's not a brash talker, but he uh, does very well in interviews. He's a handsome chap. We already talked about the work he does in the community. So uh, I definitely think that he has potential to be a draw for the UFC. Obviously not a mega draw like this, but uh, I hope he can negotiate some pay-per-view points for that fight because it sounds like he can't. He really needs to. So that was the main event. Uh, any kind of final thoughts on this? I mean, to me, it's, you know, it's it's going to be a very interesting path of what is next for Conor McGregor. I think this is one of those, you know, defining defining fights just in terms of where where is the career going? I think this you certainly pump the brakes on if you were someone that was going into this fight thinking this is going to be the return to form of Conor McGregor. I think you're coming out of it with a pretty sobering reality. Yeah, I mean, and it was a legacy fight, and you, and he knew it. You know, that's why he was yelling about the doctor's stoppage, right? He doesn't want a TKO. He wants, you know, he he needed a win. He really needed a win here to, to maintain relevance. He didn't get it. Um, and can he be relevant again? I don't know, but he's going to get at least another crack at it in the future, I'm sure. He will get as many chances as he is willing to um, to take. I mean, he is going to have... Um, every advantage his way. I mean, it's the reason why if he had won this fight, he would have been skyrocketed and getting a championship fight. And I, I would not argue against that either. But that's now I will. S- sorry, sorry, I want you to finish your thought. 
No, that's all. I just think that it's, you know, certainly a Conor McGregor is going to have a lot of advantages, whereas there are other fighters that are going to have to work uh, that much harder to get back to uh, a championship fight. For a Conor McGregor, he could, if he fights in the next year and wins one fight, uh, that could justify a title fight. Yes, that that is correct. Um, I, I do actually want to contradict myself a little bit Pre- on prior shows and on the previous show. I said, you know, he's, you know, he's willing to fight anybody. He loves to fight and he'll, he'll fight forever and he'll take weird fights against guys. He has no business fighting, but this was the first time I, I ever saw that. Maybe he doesn't want to be in there. Like what, you know, like, does he really want to go through all the, like, even for a comeback fight against an inferior quote unquote guy, it's still a full training camp. It's still beating your body up. It's still, you know, potentially time away from your family. It, it, it's a lot. And, and you know, he's the number one. He learned $180 million last. It's like he doesn't need to prove anything. And what more could he even prove other than to himself that, you know, he can still do it? This injury will test that. Like, he's mm-hmm. looking at probably a long road to recovery, and I think all those questions are going to be very relevant ones to ask, and we're not going to have the answers uh, immediately. So I think certainly this is going to be kind of that, okay, you're – Connor's, uh, what, he's about to turn 33 years old next week, and what is – what is the, what are the things you have left to do in your career? Um, you know, he – he puts it out there that he's going to fight as long as he can. But, I mean, now you have to have that honest conversation with yourself internally about what what is it that you're coming back for? What do you still want to do? And what are all the other things in that you have as options in life that you're saying no to by pursuing a fight career? Like, these are all questions that, you know, not many fighters have the uh, security that Conor McGregor does financially that, like, why are you going going to go to these lengths to come back again mm-hmm. yeah well let's talk about the rest of the card gilbert burns versus stephen thompson uh very important fight i would say for stephen thompson and with gilbert burns i mean this was one where he is coming off that uh pretty emphatic loss to kamara usman back in february and i mean a very simple fight to break down stylistically we knew that gilbert burns was going to be the one that if he can put Stephen Thompson down. This is a a huge threat for Stephen Thompson. And in the opening round, uh, Burns was able to get that takedown and landed uh, numerous strikes on Stephen Thompson, busting up his mouth. And right before the end of the round, Thompson was able to get up and throw a head kick. The second round, uh, Burns ends up taking a spin kick to the head, but responds with a right hand and gets a second takedown. And the end of this fight, or sorry, the end of the second round saw both men up against the fence and just wailing on one another uh, to conclude the round. This was quite the um, battle on the ground between Burns and Thompson. Uh, was it like Don Fry and, um, you know, that legendary... <laughs> I, I saw that comparison. Man. That was a very liberal comparison to Fry and Takayama oh. that this, this moment, yeah, that uh, this sequence in the fight was compared to. Well, they made it on the broadcast, so it, it, it wasn't just uh, you know the has the the Twitterverse chattering. I mean, but yeah, no, it was nothing like that. But it was a fun little exchange. Essentially, Burns was getting the better of of Thompson. The round was ending. Thompson knew he couldn't get out of position, so rather than just eat the shots, he just fired back a few, and it was a fun way to end the round. 
Thompson had his best strike of the fight in round number three, where he was able to hit a spinning wheel kick and briefly drops Burns, who fires back at Thompson. Burns gets a body lock and gets the takedown. Thompson avoids a guillotine, but then Burns briefly mounts him, and he just unloads on Thompson towards the end of the round. Uh, I scored this fight 29-28 for Gilbert Burns. How did you have it? I had it the same way. I, I gave Thompson the second round. Uh, the, the the takedown and the punches at the end weren't enough for Burns, but you know he did a masterful job in the third round to control it, and then even you know finish emphatically. You know to the displeasure of the crowd. You know he kind of robbed us of a very entertaining Wonder Boy performance, but he did what needed to be done and did something that nobody does. You know he took down Wonder Boy repeatedly. That is not an easy task. So. All credit to uh, Gilbert Burns, a very impressive win. I book. I I screwed up my scorecard. I actually I I did give all three to Burns. The second oh, okay. was very close. I went right back okay. and forth. That was a very close round. You I, I saw a lot of people go with uh, Thompson there. So and all the judges had it the same way. So there you go. Um, th- this is one. Yeah, I, we talked about it on the preview show, Phil. Like for Stephen Thompson, he's thirty eight years old. This is a very deep division. Uh, that that's a tough loss for him. Yeah, it just it's and it's such a shame because he's looking good. It's like, you know, it, it you know, he got up from the takedowns for the most part and it's just uh it it puts him so far back that you can't imagine him getting a title shot, but you can also imagine him beating so many guys in the division. Um, you know, it's a shame that, you know, I'd still like to see a Leon Edwards fight, although that seems more realistic for Burns at this point. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, this is one of those fights where, I mean, Burns was, I mean, this fight to me is not going to bring him much closer to Kamaru Usman than he was going into this fight. It just eliminates a contender in Stephen Thompson. So I guess it's uh, great news if you're Colby Covington and thought for any chance that that fight was in doubt with Usman that I don't think it was. Uh, and maybe a bit of a positive for a Leon Edwards, who there is one less contender gunning for the next title fight if we all believe Covington gets the next one. That's how it seems like it's going. So I await Nate Diaz to be announced as the next challenger <laughs> for Kamaru Usman. What about Nate Diaz versus Wonderboy? Wouldn't that be a great fight? That'd be such a good fight. I'd like uh, that. It'd be a weird fight. Um, I, I mean, it would, yeah. be, it would really favor uh, Wonderboy so much. But hey, there's always that fifth round, Nate. I would I, I would love just for you know Nate, Nate to me is not like uh, I, I'm imagining like the press conference involving those two, but I, I I think Nate would actually be very complimentary towards Stephen Thompson. I imagine he would have uh, a lot of respect for Thompson. I I think so as well. How could you not wonder? Ty Tuivasa and Greg Hardy, buckle up, folks. Tuivasa comes out to wannabe. This following up on his last entrance uh, where he came out to Celine Dion. Which is your favorite spice, though? Ginger. 100%. Oh, without a question. Because I heard this song the other day, and I really had to think. And I went through all of them, and pros and cons, and I came to my conclusion. And? Scary spice. Scary spice. Okay. Mel B. All right. Mel B. Well, what were the pros and cons? Well, I mean, she's obviously a very attractive woman. I mean, as they all are. Uh, she's athletic. 
I really love her hair. I love that hair. It's uh, it's incredible. Uh, you know, she had a career beyond the Spice Girls. I know she was, I think, was it uh, Mary's Cause Got Talent or one of those reality shows that she had a, a key role on. Uh, and she was, you know, witty and charming on that. So so that's why Mel B gets my pick. Who, who would you say extended the Spice Girls fame the furthest between her and Victoria? Like those would be your candidates, right? I mean, I guess... You know, you're talking about Posh Spice, who, of course, is the wife of David Beckham. And so that association is sort of also like along the Spice Girls, you know, theme. Um, but I'm going to still go with Mel B. She's my girl. So I'm going to pick Mel B. Okay. Scary Spice. So uh, Greg Hardy did not come out to the Spice Girls. Uh, this fight begins and... Tui Bossa is immediately kicking at Greg Hardy's legs. And my God, is Hardy feeling these? His legs are just buckling. And then Hardy comes at him and he rocks Tui Bossa. And Tui Bossa is like staggered. And Greg Hardy senses the kill. And he walks into this counter left and down goes Hardy. And Tui Vasa finishes him with strikes, gets the knockout finish at one minute, seven seconds of the opening round. And then what we got was just pure insanity with this post-match celebration by Tai Tui Vasa. But the performance itself, um, this came as advertised. That's right. This is what you uh, uh, prognosticated on the preview show and, and you got what you expected and we got what we hoped for. A lot of people have been hoping for a Greg Hardy, uh, getting TKO'd, uh, for a while now. And, uh, finally got delivered in emphatic fashion. It was kind of reminiscent of the Czech Congo versus, um, Pat Berry fight. Pat Berry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Reminded me of that one, but a very dramatic fight. Really exciting. I mean, I was really surprised. Uh, first of all, Greg Hardy is huge because Tia Voss is a big boy and Hardy looked way bigger than him. And I was surprised that Hardy decided he was just going to throw down right in the middle of the cage. I didn't think that was the best strategy and it turned out it wasn't. So afterwards, Tai Tuivasa gets on to the octagon and downs a shoey. He goes, he does his interview with Joe Rogan and announces he wants to do a shoey with every single person in the T-Mobile arena. So the camera follows him as he is making his way to the back. He is handed a shoe. He drinks out of it. And this fan had poured Dustin Poirier's <laughs> hot sauce into the beer, which if they arrested this fan, it wouldn't have been enough of a punishment. What a... What a horrible individual. Can you imagine? This guy's just competed, and you hand him a beer full of hot sauce? Should have spit it right back in this guy's face. I mean, the nerve. The nerve. Joe Rogan was disgusted by this. Joe Rogan was the highlight, just uh, absorbing what was happening here. But the best one, he is right... He's walking towards the back, and a guy on the balcony, the balcony pours down a beer and it just goes right down Tai Tuivasa's gullet. Dude, this this man was just out of control and I cannot imagine what state he is in as we are speaking several hours since this fight ended. 
Uh, apparently he parties hard, according to Daniel Cormier. Clearly he parties hard. I mean, just uh, from his post-fight celebrations. Uh, yeah, a bit uh, queeze-inducing, uh, but uh, tradition for IQ of Do we see Greg Hardy again in the UFC, Phil? How many in a row has he lost? It's like two in a row? He's coming up. This is two in a row. He lost to Marcin Tabura in December. Uh, Think he gets another uh, one? I think, yeah. I think he could get another one. You know, it was an exciting fight, right? That's that's sometimes criteria enough for for the UFC and and heavyweight is thin. So uh, I know he gets a decent payday, so that plays a factor. But uh, I don't know. They seem to always put him in prominent positions. So I, I think he will see another fight, yes. When you get into, uh, you know, entertaining heavyweight brawls, there is a longevity to that for your time with a promotion. Maybe not for yes. your career, but I mean, yes. that I think he ends up getting another opportunity. Yes. Women's bantamweight, we go to next. Arena Eldana and Yana Kunitskaya. Uh, Aldana missed weight by three and a half pounds. Uh, she put out a message explaining. Uh, uh, issues that she had earlier in the week and apologizing profusely for missing weight and Kunitskaya taking the fight. Uh, this one went 435 of the first round. Aldana was landing as Kunitskaya came forward and busted up her nose. And Aldana landed, dropped Yana with this check left hook and is just attacking her with this vicious ground and pound. She's relentless with her pressure and finishes uh, Kunitskaya 435 of the first round. And Irina Eldana comes back after a loss to Holly Holm last October and said that maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday I will be the champion. Maybe not any of those days. Well, uh. she should have clarified and said, maybe not today, <laughs> maybe not tomorrow, maybe not any day where <laughs> our current 135-pound women's champion, Amanda Nunez, wakes up and says, I am still fighting as yeah. a career. Yeah, I mean, impressive win, um, you know, huge power discrepancy. I mean, Kuniskaya didn't have anything for her, but big weight miss on a massive card. You got to correct that. You no, know? it's kind of like a, it's like a neutral win, right? You really have to fix that. A major thumbs up goes out to whoever was running the graphics uh, on this pay-per-view because as Joe Rogan was interviewing Aldana, they're doing the scroll of everyone's tweets, and there they throw up the infamous 2014 tweet from Bjorn Rebney, the famous one that just simply reads, Mexico. <laughs> really? That's amazing. This, I so, didn't see that. <laughs> shout out to Aaron Bronstetter, who caught this. And I, being uh -huh. uh, diligent, went back, and yes, in fact, they put this tweet up right mid-speech from Aldana, from Bjorn Rebney. That is Brilliant. a level of humor that is rarely <laughs> seen on the UFC broadcast that I thought was hysterical. That's fantastic. So major and thumbs up I, to whoever made that call. Yes, and shout out to Eric uh, Marcotte, who I'm sure uh, enjoyed that as well. Oh, I'm, I'm certain of it. Okay, let's talk about this. This was the, the real main event of the whole night. Sean O'Malley and Chris Mutino. Mutino uh, had come in on 11 days notice, replacing Luis Smolka, uh, fought in the CES organization, and had last competed in May. So not, uh, not a whole lot of notice here. Comes in, made weight, 
and then had this fight with Sean O'Malley. Phil, I have never seen a fight that was so one-sided that the guy on the bad side of the scoring came out of this, like within a minute, this guy had already, in my opinion, won because this dude was took so much punishment in this fight. But my God, he is going to get uh, a career out of this performance. I mean, it was certainly an entertaining fight. I mean, he pretty much left, you know, left himself up uh, for uh, Sean O'Malley to land what could only be the most accurate performance in this UFC history. This was unbelievable. Um, I, I don't know what the final stats were, but like in the middle of the fight, like the stats, dude, Moutinho was landing 27% of his significant strikes. Sean O'Malley, 82%. He was landing. Yeah. So I know at, uh, in the third round, he had landed over 200 shots and was still landing at over 80% at that point as well. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he was dancing around him. To Moutinho's credit, I mean, constant forward pressure, took O'Malley's best shot, kept coming forward, was, was you know, talking smack at points. Moutinho actually had a little bit of success with some leg kicks early, and he, he got did, away. I mean, for, he, got he did away as well him. as someone losing a 10-8 round could do in the first yes. round. I'll put yes. it that way, okay? But, I don't want to oversell. Yes. Like, I, I, I yes. never... It, yes. It was, we're going to naturally oversell the performance, but it was like, dude, this guy almost lasted three rounds with Sean O'Malley, and it was just, it was insane to watch him uh, absorb the punishment. And to Phil's point, this guy never backed down. He just came forward. Uh, in the first round, O'Malley landed 89 significant strikes, which is a new single round bantamweight record, according to John Anik. Um, I had the first round of 10 8. Um, the second round, a 10-9. Uh, and then the third, I was well on my way to giving him another 10-8 round. Uh, however, O'Malley just, he just is destroying this guy. He's landing knees to the face, brutal strikes, an uppercut. And finally, Herb Dean steps in and stops it. There was a lot of debate online about, I don't know, apparently, like, if you are just punished to such a degree it's like a mark of pride that you make it to the end of the fight i had absolutely no problem none with this stoppage i mean to me if you think that this dude chris motinho comes out of this with all the praise in the world he is probably dana white's favorite fighter after watching this i can guarantee it an extra 27 seconds of this of this damage that he was taking i did not need to see uh if this were, um, if we transform this performance into a boxing ring, I don't think his corner even sends him out <laughs> for the final round. There was no path to victory for Chris Moutinho. Herb Dean did him a favor. Did you disagree? No, I didn't disagree. I mean, I, I understand why people were saying because the finishing sequence didn't look so bad. But like just like five seconds before that, uh, Herb said, "Protect yourself," and then he ate a combo. And then he ate a second and, combo. That and uppercut, then, dude. And, his head just went into like the MGM Grand across the street. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it, it's like in boxing, d defend yourself means throw back, right? And he didn't even throw back. So yeah, it it, it was fine. The stoppage was fine. He was not going to do anything other than eat more shots. And then dude, the don't feel like oh, like Chris Martino 
he comes out of this, like he is like, he couldn't have sold himself better. Like he is going to be um, like, I think his next well, fight. Well, he's, he's apparently $75,000 richer as well. Well, because that should made be. that made fight of the night. He promised it. He did say that on the embedded. He said, I'm, you I don't think guarantee was, a win. Do you, I don't guarantee do you, a loss, but I do guarantee fight of the night. So you know what? Mystic Mac might be uh, not making predictions anymore, uh, and his prediction is not coming true. But we've got now uh, Mystic Moutinho. Uh, do you think that was the best fight in the night? There was another one that was pretty good a couple earlier, but I'm sure we're going to get to. Uh, we will get to it. That, that would be... That that would be another candidate. This one, to me, I have a hard time seeing this one as fight of the night as opposed to performance of the night. But my God, it's like, I think Chris Moutinho gets a lot of extra points because of the circumstances of him taking this fight and the performance he gave. Yes. He so gets, we'll see. Look, I'm happy that he got paid because, yeah, it was it was bad circumstances. I mean, he ate so many shots. So the best, you know, at least he can get some cash to help him heal. I'm sure that will... Uh, uh, you know, heal his wounds just fine. Um, yeah, so it's okay. His face was just a mess by the end of this. Like, just the uh, the compound strikes that just built up uh, on this poor yeah, guy's you face. Know, and, like, you know, actually, let me just add one point to this. Because it kind of reminds me of Usman versus uh, Masvidal, right? Because it's like, O'Malley pieced this guy up in a special way. Like, he really put on a clinic here. You know, he was doing some, uh, you know, some basketball dribbles in the first round. He, he was showboating a lot. Uh, and even as the pressure kept coming, he kept landing and kept evading. So it was a masterclass by O'Malley. And O'Malley took the fight also on short notice. Had O'Malley had the time to prepare, I'm fairly certain he would have gotten this guy out of there a lot earlier. Um, yeah, so we, we, they did announce tonight the... Attendance was 20,062. Gate was 16.76 million. And the performance of the night bonuses went to Tai Tuivasa and uh, Drykis Duplessis, that we will talk about in a minute. And fight of the night did go to O'Malley and Moutinho. Okay. All right. Congratulations, uh, Moutinho. Uh, let's quickly uh, just talk about the uh, the prelims here. Carlos Condit versus Max Griffin. Uh, they went the full three rounds. Uh, I had Max Griffin winning the first and the third round. I gave round number two to Carlos Condit, but I thought um, a clear victory here for Max Griffin. Although I thought he he slowed down definitely in the second round, and Condit was able to capitalize. It was a very close second round, but I I did give it to Condit, and then Griffin kind of just poured it on in the third. So I thought a fairly Fairly standard fight to score. I agree 100%. 100%. I have the exact same one. Exactly. Let's go to Eric Marcotte's uh, main event of the night. Nico Price versus Michel Pereira. And Pereira uh, won the first two rounds. This was highlighted by this dude doing a standing backflip and then ending up mounting Nico Price. Now... <laughs> John McCarthy brought up a very, a very important uh, warning for Pereira for the future. That had this guy, even with a backflip, you come down heels first. That's an illegal stomp to a downed opponent. So beware of that in the future. Well, when if you're planning on just ending up in mount, what does it matter? 
well. I mean, this guy was landing feet first. He wasn't landing, uh, you know, <laughs> belly on top in, in the mount immediately. <laughs> it, it, well, this mean, guy's out of his mind. He's just out of his mind. <laughs> Yeah, it just it just ended up that way. It was it was it was a ridiculous move, uh, but entertaining nonetheless. Um, Nico Price had a really good third round. Uh, I gave the third to him. Uh, pretty strong round. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, go further than ten nine. But uh, I thought twenty nine twenty eight for Pereira, and that is how all three judges scored it. And Pereira has now won uh, three in a row. And uh, I was very nervous when. Pereira lifted up Nico Price onto his shoulders <laughs> yes. and started walking around. I was like, this is a disaster waiting to happen, and I would be scared out of my mind if I was Nico Price up there. Yeah, it it, uh, it didn't look good. I, I wonder if he didn't get the bonus because of the backflip, because I know Dana hates that stuff. So I wonder if he just, like, just, he just really dislikes that type of stuff. So, like, uh, honestly, as, like, a back-and-forth fight, it's, it's hard to go against O'Malley and M- Moutinho. It was just... So much of that, like, it was my only hesitancy on fights like that is, like, it's just there was so much, like, one-way traffic in that fight. Um, Whereas when I look at, you know, what is the best fight, I think you want to have that back and forth. And this one, I mean, it got close in the third round. I think if Nico Price was able to, uh, like, it it was not going into, like, 10-8 territory, but it was, to me, um, made a lot closer after that third round. But I completely understand why they went where they did that was a pretty spectacular performance yeah spectacular performance on the pay-per-view so yeah i i get it um it's fine but this was a good fight it was entertaining uh it delivered uh even though pahea was tired in the third round i thought he fought very smart he still was able to counter and you know clinch and do what he needed to do to survive but he's definitely going to need to figure out uh how to maintain a pace through more than uh two rounds Ryan Hall, Ilya Tapuria, a uh, very interesting fight going into this. And watching this, if you had not been exposed to Ryan Hall, uh, you got to see uh, Ryan Hall in action here, who um, came out with like a spinning wheel kick and then was just constantly just rolling towards Tapuria, who was avoiding him. And there was a point where he was literally dragging Hall by the wrist. Uh, Taporia connects with a left hand. He landed several strikes, and it seemed at this point, Bill, that he started to figure out some patterns of Ryan Hall and was able to uh, kind of figure out that rhythm. And he finds his opening, and he lands on Hall and starts dropping these hammer fists and strikes and stops him by KO at 4:47 of the first round. Ilya Taporia improves to 11 and 0, and Ryan Hall falls to 8 and 2. Yeah, uh, Ryan Hall, pretty disappointing performance. He kept, he pretty was pretty much was singular focused with this. You know, he kept doing this like sort of knee bar attack roll to try to capture a leg. It was unsuccessful many times. At one point, uh, he had his back was about to be taken, and so he he got up with sort of like a headlock and stood up, and then Tapuria caught it later, and stopped it and just started pounding on him and hall had nowhere to go and uh was pretty much it was just like flatlined right there really bad performance like i i, I don't i don't know what the game plan was here because there was only one game plan and it was executed extremely poorly yeah i mean taporia is a real 
intriguing featherweight to keep your eyes on. And I think that, you know, with Ryan Hall, it's, you know, if, if people are going to follow like this template and kind of figure out how to deal with the awkwardness, I mean, this was clearly something that Taporia was ready for and figured out in, in the first round. So Ryan Hall is a very tough opponent to find guys that are interested in fighting him. It's like, he's very, it's, it's not like it's a big name. It's somebody that is not, not everyone's cup of tea. Like it's, I find him really entertaining to watch, but I don't know if I represent the majority. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be somebody who is going to uh, draw, you know, he's not going to be a headliner. I, it, it, it's just pretty clear. But, you know, if you think about um, a television show and an MMA card is like, you know, a variety of things. You want to have lightweight fighters. You want to have heavyweight fighters. You want to have female fighters. You want to have submission fighters along with strikers. He, he has a role to fill. So I, I think, you know, he does draw an audience, but he has to get some wins. And normally he does, but, you know, this is not a performance that indicates that you should be competing with the elite of uh, mixed martial art. And then uh, we had uh, Dreykus Duplessis defeat uh, Trevin Giles, uh, a minute 41 of the second round. Uh, Duplessis was coming off the fence and dropped this dude with a right hand and just finished him uh, with several follow-up strikes. Uh, this was after the first round uh, where Duplessis got the mount in the final seconds and was going for a guillotine. Uh, he had a strong first round and then uh, dropped him in the second round. I thought he had a really good performance. This guy, um, he fought in EFC Africa. He's had, this was his 18th fight. He hasn't gone to the judges once in his career. Yeah. I mean, at first I was a little bit concerned because he, he was getting pieced up a little bit on the feet and he had a very unconventional sort of movement pattern and guard. But then once he, the grappling exchanges started happening, he was pretty mm -hmm. dominant there. And then in the second round, yeah, I just a, a perfectly timed uh, counter shot, uh, went for the kill and, and you know, uh, performance of the night, uh, awarded uh well deserved uh you know somebody's won competed in ksw big promotion as well so uh yeah, definitely somebody to keep an eye on for sure and then quickly here i'll just read the results from the early prelims we had a uh, jalgas jumagulov uh submit jerome rivera uh did you get to see this this was quite the same i did yeah yeah it, it was so amazing yeah he got the left arm wrapped around and then grabbed his bicep. Uh, would you describe this, Phil? This was uh, very impressive. Yeah. So, you know, typically when you get like a normal like guillotine, you would you would keep your sort of like the crook of your arm in their throat. But he shot his arm all the way through, almost as if he was going through a darse. And then he captured his bicep and then he just squeezed it as if he almost had a rear knit. This is this is like what you would do if you had a rear naked choke. But then he had his head buried in his chest. So he's curling the neck and head while he's squeezing the arms with this grip that's inside the bicep that you can't break that grip. So when your head is compressed and you're getting choked, it's it's over. There's no escape from that. And uh, it was a masterful uh, submission. In a just world, this man would have got a $75,000 bonus. Yeah. 
Uh, Brad Tavares defeated Omari Akhmedov by split decision uh, with 29-28 scores, uh, two going his way and one for Akhmedov. And Jennifer Maya beat Jessica I by unanimous decision. Uh, the frightening image that came out of this was a cut to the forehead of Jessica I that apparently required 13 stitches. And uh, Maya got the unanimous decision and... Jessica I, uh, many people were noting, uh, got a third eye. That's right. Yes. Yes, it was it was gruesome. Uh the fight was actually a pretty entertaining one. I I I actually scored it for I. I gave her rounds one and three. I thought she had effective boxing. Um, but maybe the gash was a little bit too much for the judges. And, you know, they all agreed, so what do I know? Well, all all three judges had the first two rounds for Maya, and then two of them had it for I in the third. However, the media scores um, up at MMA Decisions, um, they were like 9-8 in favor of Jessica I the last time I checked. Okay. So media scores, they were um, they were split and, well, uh, slightly ahead for Jessica I. So they agreed with you, Phil. Okay. All right. Uh, I thought this was a pretty entertaining show. I think that... Um, I, I think that that Sean O'Malley, Chris Matino fight is going to be a pretty memorable one in uh, mm -hmm. that they are going to reference a lot. And I think it's going to be one of those Dana White fights that he's going to always be referring to of guys taking short notice fights because look, look at what this can open the doors for. And I could really see Chris Matino being one of those Dana White guys that he just loves and uses it as a selling point for fighters to... Take short notice fights. Sure, yeah, and he'll promote them. He'll give them a T-shirt. He'll he'll do all that. Uh, you know, uh, one thing to uh, say. You know, when we were sort of debating what the the fight of the night was going to be ahead of time. You know, I just kept, I did. You know, we kept admitting Connor, right? But you know, as you know, Connor he he's lost a lot of all you know all his recent fights, right? You can make a lot of criticisms about where he fits and, you know, the rankings and all that. But he is, is he not the most exciting fighter of all time? Like, he's every single Conor McGregor fight, not only just in the anticipation and the, the excitement around the event, but even in the fights themselves, they are incredibly exciting. And it's, it's always must-see television. I don't disagree at all. I think when you go look at his his fights, they're, um, I mean, man, pick, pick a fight. Like, find your Conor McGregor fight that was dull. I mean, uh, Max Holloway. That's the best example. That's the best one you can get. And he's fighting injured Which, in that one, right? And I was at like that years card. Ago. I was oh, at that card you? in Boston. Yeah. What, what was that? Back, back in the days when uh, Conor McGregor was uh, brought back to... Uh, do the media <laughs> scrums. <laughs> oh, did you get to talk to him? I did get to talk to him, yes. Uh-oh. Could um, you sense then that a, a star was in the making? Uh, I think if you go back to that, that was his second UFC fight. And that week, uh, like, they gave him his own, like, workout day. He was, like, you could see the UFC was on the bandwagon instantly after the Mark Marcus Brimage fight where he's like, on the Facebook prelims, like this guy has something. And it was more so the press conference afterwards. That's the one where he's got the watch and he's saying how like three people died making this watch. And it was mm -hmm. like, man, he had the whole place just cracking up. Chael Sonnen's up there. That's the night he beat a uh, Shogun. And man, it was, 
uh, you could certainly see just the uh, the reaction to him, very strategic, putting him in Boston, um, that this guy was going to be a big star. You didn't know how big, but it was very evident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get out of here, um, coming up over the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll just read you out uh, some of the cards next week. We've got Islam Makachev and Tiago Moises in the main event. Uh, but maybe what's going to have more attention, Phil, is going to be the return of Misha Tate after five years as she's going to be returning to take on Marion Renault. What do you think about the Misha Tate comeback? Yeah, curious one, you know. I mean, uh, you know, if she's... There's not a lot of depth at 135. Like, yeah. I totally see... I don't like. I actually this week rewatched the Amanda Nunez uh, Misha Tate fight, and man, it was that was not a good night for Misha Tate. Um, Honestly, and, like that's my biggest problem with it is that even when she was champion, she wasn't really the best fighter in the division. You know, like she was getting pieced up by Holly Holm, and she was able to get the win, and it was a great moment, and she was a great fighter in her time, but like. That was so long ago when she was like number two behind Ronda Rousey. And so mm-hmm. the idea that she is going to make so much improvement that she's going to be a contender now, it's hard to believe. And then in terms of her star power, she was a popular fighter. The The rivalry with Ronda was certainly a big deal, but I don't know how much of that is going to be a draw right now. I, I mean, I'm intrigued by it. I like Misha Tate. I wish her the best, but... I'm not terribly optimistic about uh, what to expect. Yeah. I mean, presuming that Amanda Nunez beats uh, Juliana Pena, um, you know, if Misha Tate were to win next weekend, um, I could totally see them going and instantly throwing Misha into, into that title fight. Why not? I mean, why not? Like, you know, not, you know, you want star power. There's not too many people. uh, There aren't really any feet too many other female stars other than the champions and you know holly holm and she's gotten enough shots at it so yeah i, I definitely could see uh, uh misha tate getting an accelerated Hol- holm shot. and tate in a rematch i have way more interest in right now than seeing sure tate throwing at amanda sure. Nunez. i think that's a great i mean look holm is the queen of of fight night uh, main events uh in arizona so you or uh, new mexico so you do that there and be a great one the weekend after, July 24th, is Corey Sanhagen and the returning TJ Dillashaw. So a very important fight for Dillashaw. Sanhagen's so. coming yeah. off that mauling of Frankie Edgar this year. Yeah, huge fight for uh, uh, Dillashaw. I mean, how many times have we seen the promo for this uh, documentary about the, 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 you know, the incredible suffering and comeback that TJ has endured through this two-year arduous journey to return to glory i mean can't we all wait for the triumphant reclaiming of the crown for tj dillashaw they are they are pushing it very hard about this man uh missing two years because of uh failing his drug test uh the weekend after that is uh uriah hall against sean strickland in the main event and then UFC 265 is on August the 7th. Derek Lewis, Cyril gone for the big interim heavyweight championship, which will also feature on the main card, Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena, Jose Aldo against Pedro Munoz, and Michael Chiesa versus Vicente Luque. That's, uh, 
the Aldo and Chiesa fights, uh, those are some nice main card uh, additions. Absolutely. I mean, very happy to see Chiesa back. You know, his, his, his performances at welterweight have been amazing. He's a type of fighter that is, you know, a couple wins and he's right there in the, in the title. Uh, P- people don't talk enough picture. about him in that, that welterweight mix. Like he beats yeah. Luke. He is, um, he's certainly ahead of Thompson and he's yeah. right in that, that level with like Edwards. And I mean, a win here is very big for Kiesa and L- Luke as well. Like he's, he's got a very deceptive, uh, record that people don't pay a whole lot of attention to. He's won his last three. He's yeah, coming off and- the Woodley win. So it's an important fight for him equally. I, I agree. And even in the Thompson uh, loss that he had uh, a couple years ago, he looked pretty good. There was, you know, there was improvements to be made there. So uh, Luke is still a contender. Yeah, I like that fight a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, you did uh, skip over the previous week. There is something else going on on the previous weekend. Well, Phil, this is how a professional ends things, because usually <laughs> this is where I would say that that is the next time we will be talking to you, UFC 265. But that is not the case because we will be coming at you with a post show right after Bellator 263. Now, I'm sure you're asking, wait a minute, what is happening with Bellator 263? Well, it is one of the biggest fights in Bellator history, if I do say so myself, as Patricio Pitbull Freite, one of the best fighters in the world, defends the featherweight championship against AJ McKee. They're fighting for the championship, a million dollars, and that has clearly got the interest of not just Phil Shertalk, but also Eric Marcotte. So we will have a preview show for you that week. We're going to bring everyone up to speed on what's happening in the world of Bellator, why this main event has everyone's focus, and then we will have a post show on Saturday night, July the 31st, and I'm looking forward to switching it up and doing a Bellator show with you, Phil. Yeah, it's good that it's, you know, it's also a nice Bellator main event with homegrown stars, right? McKee is somebody that, uh, as we talked about on the preview show briefly, uh, you know, Showtime has been investing a lot into. They put him on their boxing cards, had him sitting beside Steven Espinoza. And then you have Pitbull, who is such an amazing fighter, such an incredible highlight reel uh, record. Somebody who's always in exciting fights as well and a, a longtime staple in Bellator. So yeah, this is this is an incre- incredible fight, one that uh we're looking forward to and uh should be a lot of fun to talk to you and Eric about it uh yeah. To look forward to that the final week of July and let's not uh let's not promise and not deliver. We, you did want yes. to give your quick thoughts on the broadcast tonight on UFC. It was very heavy on a lot of different hosts throughout the show like usually it's megan olivia in that role and i think megan is phenomenal in that role but tonight we had uh we had laura sanko on the broadcast we also had karen bryant outside for some reason with max kellerman like they weren't inside the building then we had another desk which featured uh stephen a smith dominic Mm -hmm. cruz michael bisping like there was there was a lot of added elements and I was kind of surprised Phil that we never went back to any of these desks. It was one check-in and that was it. Or at the beginning of the show they never went back to them. Okay, so I'm going to rant a little bit here. There was so before before we even got to the pay-per-view, they had these promos these like w- prolonged promo videos uh, c- c- uh 
Poirier uh, doing the Teddy Roosevelt speech, the man oh, in the arena. Right. The man in the arena. They had. Oh him my sight. god! There was there was there was at least three god awful promos that were excessively long, cheesy, horribly written. Cormier did one on the history of trilogies early. That was horrible as well. The writing is so atrocious. The lead in programmings throughout the week, the way in, UFC way in show, ESPN show, ESPN now, this thing with Cormier, the, it's just garbage. It's so, they're just UFC hype machine. It's no analysis. It's no thoughtful analysis. It's, it's just trash to just, I don't know, lure in the most moronic, generic sports fan. And it's so, insulting to me i don't even know what to say I, I i can't stomach even a second of this coverage the way in show was so brutally atrocious like and then the these packed and then they go to max kellerman and Stephen a smith during the pay-per-view portion of the show which from my understanding the ufc is the one who's 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 producing this so so you're telling me that the yes. ufc is now paying so so that means the ufc is paying max kellerman and Stephen a smith this is the same thing that they, they were criticizing Ariel for, you know, back in the Fox days. You know, I know there's a lot of contention about whatever deal ESPN offered. If Ariel had to pay to leave ESPN, it was worth it because it's not the worldwide leader in MMA coverage. It's the worldwide leader in UFC hype machine. And I can't stand it. And that's why I can't watch any of that shoulder programming. I'm sorry. I can watch the fights and that's about it. So there we go. Damn, got a big rant out of Phil tonight. Well, that that is going to end things on a spirited note from Phil Shertalk. Thank you very much for all of your all, all of your thoughts, your opinions. That's what people come here for, Phil. Look, I I couldn't take it anymore. You know, sometimes I I'm at, I feel like I'm a bit of like the UFC apologist. Like you know, people complain about Rogan as a commentator. I don't find it that bad. But there is a limit. There is a limit to how much you can insult the audience. And I, 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 I've been a fan for so long. You're just like urinating on me. I can't take it. Please just give me some normal programming. Do you want to end on, on a light note then? Yes, please. From, uh, I guess this is from Dana White's uh, press conference tonight. This comes from a oh. uh, friend of the show, Andreas Hale. Dana White explains that he was, quote, fired up. And that's the reason he increased the fight bonuses to $75,000. But when asked if he'd make it permanent, he said no. And that it would, quote, break the budget. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. For Phil, I am John. Thank you for tuning in to our UFC 264 post show. (laughs) 